the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece yours truly hosted that I trust you will enjoy. Thank you for joining me this morning. Now I'm joined and honored always to have the United States Secretary of State, Michael Pompeo, as my guest. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. How are you? I'm very good, Hugh. How are you today? I'm terrific on the West Coast. We had a great day at the Nixon Library yesterday. Ambassador Grinnell was out talking about the Trump Doctrine, quoting you, that America first does not mean America alone. Is that the most succinct statement you think of it? Yeah, it's a, look, it's a good description. I know there have been those who uh, critique this, but our, our fundamental obligation as leaders here in the United States is to make sure America is secure. Uh, that, that requires us to work with partners all around the world to develop coalitions. Um, but our focus, our focus is always on American national security. Well, Ambassador Grinnell, echoing your point of view yesterday very well. Now, I, I want to talk about the ministerial, the second annual ministerial on religious liberty. That's the bulk of our time. But a couple of quick questions on Iran and the headliners. Uh, it appears that Iran has seized the United Arab Emirates tanker. Uh, do we know where it is and will we help the UAE get it back? So I can't say much about that, but we're, we're following very closely what's taking place more broadly even than just this tanker in the Strait of Hormuz. The president's made pretty clear uh, that uh, this is an uh, international obligation to keep these waterways open, uh, and we're, we're working diligently to build out a, uh, a maritime security initiative, uh, a broad range of countries participating in that. Uh, the, the Iranians' effort uh, to deny transit for uh, commercial vessels, crude oil vessels, and other vessels is something that Frankly, it's consistent with 40 years of their history, and it's something that the United States is prepared to do our part to make sure uh, that those waterways remain open. Now, Congressman Gallagher told me earlier on the show that the UAE is known as Little Sparta. Would they do something without our cooperation if they think their um, tanker has been seized by the mullahs? Yeah, you know, you know I, I hate to speculate. Uh, there's, there's no doubt the Emirates will make the decisions that they believe is in their uh, national interest, but they are a great partner. We work closely with them uh, every day, not only in the region, but on matters around the world. And they, too, share our commitment to ensuring that Iran is not uh, an abnormal nation, that it uh, ceases destabilizing activity there. And so we have a, a great partner in the United Arab Emirates. All right. Last Iran question. If they want a war, there's very little we can do to prevent that. If they want a conflict and they keep poking the bear, or in this case, the eagle, they're going to get one. At what point do you give up on Iran coming to the table? Ambassador Grinnell said the president always invites people to the table. I saw you yesterday on his right hand talking about bringing Iran to the table. All Instead, they do. They seize tankers and they fly um, uh, drones at Saudi Arabian airports. They're not coming to the table. The American people should never underestimate the broad range of responses, uh, nor, nor should the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, misunderstand our efforts. Uh, the the best solution here is for the Iranians to decide that the diplomatic uh, path forward is the best one for the people inside of Iran. And we try to talk to them because the Iranian regime has clearly uh, d- 
done things that are inconsistent with what the Iranian people want. Um, but our mission set, our mission set is to find a diplomatic path forward that denies Iran the capacity to be the world's largest state sponsor of terror, to continue to build out their uh, missile program through proliferation and gives them no pathway to a nuclear weapon. Those are the three benchmarks that the president has laid out, and we're going to achieve it. What, how Iran will choose to respond, whether that is by continuing to enrich at higher and higher levels or by uh, taking on uh, kinetic activity, the president is prepared with a, a full range of responses so that we can get to the outcome that we're looking for. Well, one more follow-up. I saw you sitting next to the president yesterday. I don't believe Foreign Minister Zarif sits much next to the Supreme Leader. I think he's kind of an empty windbag. He's up in New York holding court. Should we be bothering any time with him? Should other Americans be meeting with him? He just seems to me to be a false flag of moderation when, in fact, uh, the regime remains the regime it has always been since 1979. You, your, your, your core point, I think, is correct. In the end, the Ayatollah is calling all of the shots, 100% of them, with respect to the big strategic issues inside of Iran and how their national security apparatus will work. He has at his right-hand side Qasem Soleimani, who is driving much of the activity that we've talked about so far. Uh, I don't, I don't view there as being two camps. Uh, there is a singular set of activities that every leader inside of Iran is responsible for. So it is uh, the reef comes around and talks about how um, he's the good guy. Um, he has been the foreign minister while the Islamic Republic of Iran has taken every action we've seen. And he is equally responsible for those activities. Do some of those actions turn into the ministerial? And I want to, in fact, set up the ministerial. This is the second annual ministerial on religious freedom. I believe it is the first time that we've had back-to-back annual ministerials on any subject. You've picked the most important one. In the classic statement of rights, there are religious rights, social rights, and economic rights. The social rights, including political rights. And the religious rights really come before anything else, because it's the consequence of which you achieve meaning in, in your life. Does Iran suppress religious rights? Every day. And for every, every person who is not a Shia, in the way that they define Shiaism? Uh, that, I think that's a, a very accurate description. We've seen how they treat women. We've seen how they treat uh, religious minorities. We've seen how they treat uh, homosexuals. We, we, we've seen this is, this is a regime with some of the worst human rights abuses of any country in the world on a consistent basis every day. Now, we have 114 countries gathered at the State Department. There are a 1,000 representatives from around the globe here. I think you're giving the keynote tomorrow. Am I right about that, Mr. Secretary? You are. So yesterday, I think you ran down victims of religious intolerance, and it was a a wide variety of people, people who have suffered greatly uh, across the world, from New Zealand, from Sri Lanka, from San Diego. What was the impact of these speakers? And they're all different religions have all been persecuted in different places. It's truly remarkable uh, three days here at the State Department. Uh, no previous administration has prepared uh, to defend this most basic freedom. You talked about that, Hugh, absent having the capacity to believe what you want and to uh, act in accordance with your own conscience. All of the other things that we talk about as freedoms or rights uh, are, are are subservient to this. And so very important that we advocate on behalf of this. Some 80% of the people in the world today live in re- religiously restricted environments. And so we brought in a group of people yesterday from a broad set of religious backgrounds um, who have lived in these spaces and who are working tirelessly to help their countries improve on religious freedom in their nation. Now, it seems to me that it's a very difficult order. But if you could persuade your counterparts in the PRC and Russia 
that religious freedom practiced by all but the extremes of any faith, and every faith has extremes, and they cannot be allowed to define the religion for which they appear to speak. But religious liberty is actually a stabilizing force in any country that embraces genuine, broad-spectrum religious liberty. Have you made that argument to President Xi or to others who routinely try and control the House Church in China, the Catholic Church in China, any other Protestant denomination? And, of course, we'll, we'll turn to the Uyghurs in a second. But do they... Do they get a sense, do you get a sense that they actually listen to this argument? It's a good question. We, we've certainly made this argument not only to the Chinese, but to every country that's not living up to their obligations for their citizens to give them the religious freedom that they have by right of their humanness. Uh, it's absolutely also factually accurate, Hugh, your, your predicate of your question, which is nations become stronger when they permit their citizens to exercise their core beliefs about who they really are. Uh, and we, we make that case to each country about why this is not something that's just intrinsically good, um, but also good for them in terms of their capacity to build out their country, to grow the economy in their nation, to keep their country secure and safe. Uh, this central premise of religious freedom makes countries stronger. It doesn't create risk, which is what I think some of the countries uh, like China are concerned with when they exercise uh, uh, political repression against the various religious faiths. Uh, that, that makes their country weaker. And we've made this argument, uh, and we will continue to build that argument out and try and convince every country, including China, that it's in their best interest to increase the religious freedom in their country. Let's turn specifically to China for a moment. They have reached some sort of rapprochement with the Vatican, which has left a lot of Catholics unhappy. The House Church, though, remains under significant, the House Christian Church remains under significant uh, restrictions. Some churches have been torn down, burned down. But is the Uyghurs and the Muslim population that is most beleaguered and by an order of magnitude greater than the others? Can you tell us what it is that's going on there? Eli Lake has a story today saying that China's campaign against the Uyghurs demands a response. What do you think, Mr. Secretary? So this administration has responded to this uh, threat to the world uh, in ways that no administration has chosen to do. We've taken it on. We've been very candid about our view. You have some million uh, Muslims, Uyghur Muslims, uh, there are Kazakhs, there are other, uh, others there as well that are being uh, detained and put in uh, facilities, camps uh, inside of Xinjiang uh, that the whole world, uh, when they see it, uh, will be repulsed by. Uh, our, our mission set is to respond. We have lots of issues that we're dealing with with respect to our relationship with China, uh, but to respond in an appropriate way, which always begins you. Uh, with calling it out, with identifying it for what it is, and appealing to people all over the world to respond in the most fundamental way to say this is unacceptable and demand that there be a change in behavior. Um, other responses, how we, we might get this to change. Uh, I don't want to get out in front of the president, um, but know that uh, President Trump and the administration take this central core idea of religious liberty uh, as a very important priority for the State Department and indeed all of our government. It is the first human right. And I want to quote Eli Lake. He says, to be clear, there are no indications that the Chinese state has committed a mass extermination of the Uyghurs, but its campaign can fairly be called a cultural genocide, an attempt to exterminate every shred of the Uyghurs' language, society, and history in Xinjiang. This is now vast public evidence that the China campaign has been accelerating since 2016. Is that consistent with your understanding, Mr. Secretary? You know, I, I might not use exactly the same language, but the the risk is very real, and it is it is the contra. And we we tell countries around the world of this. It is the exact opposite of what America is doing today here at the Department of State with our religious freedom, 
uh, ministerial. We, we've got people here who disagree with us on policy. We've got people here who have faiths that are very different than uh, mine as a Christian evangelical. Um, but they're all here because this mission set, this first freedom, uh, is so central to success for every country uh, and, importantly, uh, to give every individual the rights that they deserve. And uh, what you're seeing take place in China is precisely the opposite of that. And Burma, you have come out against Burma. I want to move, though, to the Commission on Unalienable Rights, because when Jefferson penned the words life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, in the pursuit of happiness is necessarily embedded the unalienable right to religious freedom. Do you believe your new commission will reach that conclusion, led by Marianne Glendon, famed lawyer, legal scholar, and human rights activist? It's a great development. What do you intend for this commission to do, Secretary Pompeo? So the mission, the mission that I've, I have given uh, Professor Glendon and, and her colleagues that will sit on uh, the panel is to go back to the fundamental grounding of human rights uh, that the founders set forth for us to evaluate the uh, various components of those human rights. Which, which ones are central? Which, which, which of the set of rights are core to America's success and indeed more broadly the success in the world? Um, it's very easy, Hugh. You've seen it. Um, I'll bet you've had 50 people on your show in the last 10 weeks identify some right, and that word gets thrown around loosely, and that's dangerous. It's dangerous for two reasons. One, um, when, you, when everything is a right, these most fundamental foundational rights are neglected. And second, um, when you start to talk about that way, uh, that way, when you have these broad set of issues, you know that many nations will fall short of that, and it will misdirect American policy. We, we won't be focused on those things that are most central uh, to American security around the world. And so that's what we've tasked them to do, to go back and, and reground. We had, the State Department hasn't done this in decades and decades, and I'm optimistic that they'll come to a conclusion that will be important for the United States as we move forward, thinking about how to frame how the United States speaks about uh, human rights and fundamental rights all around the world. I, I hope it's a persuasive effort. Again, thinking of President Xi and his close-in circle, if they can be persuaded that Jeffersonian democracy and rights language actually stabilizes governments at, without risking uh, those at the top's careers and livelihoods, that it doesn't have to end in the French Revolution, Secretary Pompeo. It can end in the American constitutional order of stability. That's absolutely the case. The, the, the fear in many of these countries is if they, if they grant these set of rights that they will lose political control. But in, in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, leadership that takes these rights seriously becomes stronger. Their people become uh, more capable of helping in the governance of their nation. You get, you get good economic benefits too, but you get enormous social good that comes from the guarantee of this set of rights. A last question. Of course, anything you do is attacked. In The Atlantic, they have a story by Matthias Schwartz titled The Religious Freedom Agenda that alleges one can see in the ministerial that you're holding right now an effort to make Washington the center of a global faith-based conservative order with its own doctrine of intervention and hierarchy of values, an order that seeks to augment, perhaps even compete with the existing liberal one. I know that's silly. I just like your response. Yeah, uh, maybe that's the best response. Uh, we're very focused on our mission. Uh, the the uh, the the <laughs> the fact that some on the left have become uh, sort of uh, crazed by the fact that we're trying to define, trying to create this uh, religious freedom around the world, or define the central rights for every American. I find confusing, befuddling, and perhaps uh, suggestive that they know they have the wrong end of the stick, and we are going to ground America in our constitutional understandings in ways uh, that uh, some, some, they and their colleagues uh, 
wish wouldn't happen. Does anyone ever read the founding documents anymore, Secretary Pompeo? I suppose they taught them at Harvard Law, so you came in contact with them. I know they taught them at West Point, but does anyone in the Capitol just routinely consult the documents on which our republic resides, in which it stands? I have the core documents uh, sitting on my uh, bookshelf here, uh, and that includes things uh, that go beyond just the Constitution and our, our core founding documents, but the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, all the things that these great thinkers who set uh, our nation, the greatest nation in history of civilization, on the remarkable course it's been on. And if we can stay true to those, if we can continue to use those as our guideposts, America will continue to prevail in the centuries ahead as well. Secretary Pompeo, thank you for joining me. Good luck with your keynote tomorrow at the second annual ministerial. I hope there is a third and a fourth. Mr. Secretary, thank thank you. Have a good day, sir. You too. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.